everybody. This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org, and this is your host, Dave Stovall. Today we're hearing from Awana, and we're talking about the habits for home discipleship. Most parents just don't know where to start when it comes to discipling their children. Sometimes they just need a few good ideas to get going. So today, Shauna Merlin, yes, Shauna from Awana, is sharing proven ideas you can pass on to your families to help them get real traction with at-home discipleship. We all know that biblically, parents are responsible for training up their children in the way of the Lord. We also know that most don't do it on a regular basis, sadly. That's where ministry leaders need to come in and fill the gaps, but they don't always know how. Today, Shauna is bringing some practical ideas that can be shared with parents to help them form consistent, doable discipleship habits at home. Let's listen to Shauna as she encourages us today. Here we go. Okay, so first of all, thank you for coming to a breakout at 8.15 p.m. You rock. Um, Second of all, to load up our car, you know, the eight-passenger car with all of the boxes that they sent me, we had to wake up really early. Um, (laughs) So I'm going to try my best, but I've had a couple cups of coffee, and uh, it'll be great. So my name is Shauna. Um, I work at Awana. It's a little bit awkward because my name rhymes with my company. (laughs) And so when I call people, like, hi, this is Shauna. With Awana. With Awana. They're like, ah, yeah, right. I, I know. It rhymes. It rhymes. I know. Um, and so somebody was like, so why don't you use your last name? So why don't you tell people, like, this is Shauna Merlin from Awana. And the story is, is I was a high school teacher. And so for much of my life, I have been Mrs. Merlin, which sounds old to me. And so when I switched to Awana, I was like, finally, I can go by my first name. Like, people can call me my real name now. But it rhymes with Awana. And so on a regular basis, anytime I call, so I add like a dramatic pause. So like I call, I'm like, hi, this is Shauna with Awana. It doesn't work. They still laugh. It's, it, it, it's just the way that it is. It, it was meant to be. I was supposed to work at Awana. Um, so my background is I uh, taught high school. If you live in a rural area, uh, I actually taught vocational agriculture classes. I was an ag ed teacher and an FFA advisor. If you are from a farming community, you know what that is. If you are not, you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. Um, so I, so agriculture is a big thing in our community. I grew up on a small pig farm. Um, and so I love baby piglets. Really, really fun. Um, we were the household that had like a Wilbur in our, a little baby Wilbur in our home every winter. We had a runt piglet that we were like bottle feeding. Um, currently, in my house, there are five chicks uh, in my living room right now. <laughs> they're in a cage. Um, they, they can't be outside yet because it's too cold. And so they're under a heat lamp in my living room. And so that was, that was the way that I grew up. I grew up on a small farm um, in a small church in south of Columbus, Ohio. And um, I was teaching high school and COVID hit. <sighs> like the time, you know, like the bomb that hit everybody. And so I got sent home to teach, and I was teaching vocational agriculture classes online. So what that means is I was teaching 16-year-old boys online. Do you know what that's like? Like trying to get them to like actually complete their assignments, trying to actually get them to graduation and things like that. And I love teaching. It's time to go to bed. Um, (laughs) 
I taught a 16-year-old boy, so there were all kinds of interruptions. Don't worry. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> so um, actually, I taught all of high school, so 9th through 12th grade. Um, so we got sent home, and I was one of the weird teachers that liked teaching online. I just really enjoyed it. And what I think I liked the most about it was I really liked trying to figure out how to help somebody learn in an online environment who is typically a hands-on student. So these were kids that were working on engines. These are kids that were welding. These are kids that were doing woodworking. And all of a sudden, all of their assignments had to be done on a laptop. That's hard. That was really hard. And so what we came up with was this activity grid. And so there was this activity grid, and there was like 20 things on the activity grid. And so the deal was, you do any two things on the activity grid per week, and you'll get full points. You pick the two things that you want to do. And so it might have been like refinishing um, a piece of furniture. It might have been helping somebody with their garden. It might have been, you know, so we just found all these different things. And then the kids could pick exactly what they wanted to do. And then they would take pictures of it. And then they would submit it to me. And that's how they got graded. For, so that would have been March, April, May. And I think we, we were done at the end of May. I really liked it. I was the nerd that liked it. And I liked trying to see what I could figure out for my students and what we could figure out for them to learn in that way. Uh, the other thing that we started doing that during that time is I have a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 14-year-old daughter. And so two years ago, at their age ranges, bringing them all home to learn online, obviously, was a little bit tricky. And so we started homeschooling them. And we thought, okay, we've kind of always wondered what it would be like to homeschool our kids. We have the opportunity to do this, so like, let's, let's go for it. And so we started homeschooling my kids. I was teaching online, and I loved it. I was like eating up every bit of it. I just like, I don't know, I'm the weirdo. Like I, you know, I was watching all these news reports, like these teachers are like burn out and they can't do this. And I was like, oh, this, is, this is what I wanna do. Like I really enjoy this. So I started taking some classes in instructional design. And instructional design is basically like the people who develop all of the boring online classes that you have to take for all of the various reasons you have to take them. That was made by an instructional designer. But my thought was, okay, if this prepares me to, to be able to work from home, but to still be able to develop instruction for people online and homeschool my kids, then I'm it. I'm going to try it. So I started taking these classes and it's like, I mean, these are the people like, you know, when you like get a new job and you have to like learn about your new benefits package or you have to like, that's that, that's the kind of work that I was like signing up for. But I was like, oh, it's worth it. You know, I was two weeks into my first course, two weeks into my first course. I was on LinkedIn. I was looking at what employers look for, you know, do you need to be trained in articulate? Do you need to be trained in all these different softwares? So two weeks into this class, I, I'm on LinkedIn and Awana has a job posting and they need somebody to write curriculum for kids online. So I apply for the job. I had to quit my teaching job before I found out if I got hired at Awana. And so there was that awkward time period, right, of like walk by faith, not by sight. That was the time period where uh, something I just like cling to. In Hebrews 11, it talks about Abraham packed his bags and he went not knowing where he was going. Like he had no idea. Like he just knew, like, God, I just have to follow you. Like here's my tent and all my animals and all my stuff and I, I just got to go. And I know that sounds kind of dramatic, like, oh, it's just a job change. But especially, I don't know if any of you are teachers, but especially in the education world, like once you get to be part of a school system and you're on the salary schedule and you're in the union and you have seniority, 
and you decide to leave those things, you don't know if you're ever going to get back in. And so it was one of those things where it was like kind of a defining moment. Like, are you going to give this all up? Because you might not ever get it again. And it was pretty emotional because I loved my kids. I loved teaching. I loved teaching online. And so there was, it was just kind of an awkward situation trying to figure that out. So I started working at Awana, and what they were looking for at that time was Awana is really good at equipping churches and specifically children's ministry leaders. But as we all know, there's been a huge gap in family discipleship. And so Awana started saying, like, okay, we, we're pretty good at equipping children's ministry leaders. What does it look like to equip families? What does it look like to go to a family and say, you can be a disciple maker, and here's how? And so that's what I was hired to do. It was a new position. It was kind of like, we have this idea, and we want you to run with it. And so what I'm going to present to you is basically what I've spent the past couple of years developing and researching and figuring out. And maybe you know more about one of these topics than I do, and that's great. I want you to teach me because that's my job. Like I'm here to learn and to equip and encourage families. That's my whole job. And I'm so thankful to have that job um, after you know everything that happened to get me there. So if you are not familiar with Awana, um, Awana serves 5 million kids globally every week. And so a lot of our kids are actually in Indian Africa. Um, we serve a lot of children in Indian Africa. Um, and we are actually able to be in the public school system in Africa. Amazing. We're in the public school system. And they're asking for us to be in more public schools because of um, the discipline that discipleship brings. And so there's the teachers, what they are seeing is the change in behavior. And so they're asking for Awana to continue working. And so the way that works is we go in and we train leaders and those leaders train volunteers. And then those volunteers train schools. And then those schools offer Awana to the kids there. And so they're memorizing scripture and they're learning the Bible as part of their public school day, which is pretty cool. I wish we could do it here, you know, but we are definitely doing it in Africa. And it's one of those doors that are open. And so we're like marching through it as fast as we can and getting into as many schools as we can there because of that open door. Um, so that's where a, a lot, honestly, of our 5 million kids are in India and in Africa because of those situations. We serve about 150,000 children in the United States. And so the Awana that most people know is Awana Clubs. And so that was like the midweek. If you were a cubby, if you were a sparky, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, that's a midweek ministry where people would show you did. You were one of those people. I was a cubby. I was a cubby. had my blue vest. That's why I wear my, no, that's not why I wear my blue jacket, but <laughs> I'm still a cubby. <laughs> um, and so um, that's actually one of our earliest memories was being a cubby. And um, I'm going to throw in a lot of like personal anecdotes, but one of the, the things I just love, I'm from, from small town, stayed in a small town, my cubby's leader who taught me my first Bible verses, I remember walking out of the pastor's office the day that I accepted the Lord and seeing my cubby's leader sitting there and smiling, like, oh, it's just so precious. She is discipling my daughters. She is discipling my daughters. She is still volunteering in cubbies. She is still teaching kids scripture every week. And so it just warms my heart to see her um, and to see how she has stayed active. And she's, she's very young, okay? And she still acts very young. And um, she's, she's still serving in our church. And so Awana Clubs is part of Awana that a lot of people know. Um, we also have what we call a weekend program, which basically means like Sunday school, junior church, whatever it is that you do on the weekend at your church. And so 
we have a program for that. And we also have Talk About, which is what I work on. So Talk About sounds like kind of a funny name, but the point of it is we want families to talk about everything. We want to talk about the gospel, but we know that to talk about the hard things, they have to have to talk about the easy things. And so we want to really open up the door for conversations in homes. And so I specifically work on that product. So what we're going to do today, three things. One is we're going to look at signs of the time. So specifically, we're going to look at the state of today's parents. Okay. So if these are statistics that you know, I apologize. I find them particularly interesting, and I think that they're a big deal. And so we're going to look at the state of today's parents. Um, the other thing that we're going to do is look at 10 ways to build a household of faith. You're going to see a very ugly graphic that I created all by myself on Google Drawings, okay? Um, we have a graphic designer that's going to make it look better once we like confirm that this is indeed the structure that we want to present. But you all have to promise now that you will not make fun of my, you'll see it and you're going to like all snicker. Okay. I'm not a graphic designer, but we're going to look at building a household of faith. And then the third thing we're going to look at is just helpful resources. And so one of those is the talk about product that, that I work on. Obviously I'm going to tell you about it because I like it a lot. Um, and I'll, I'll throw out some names of some books and things like that that I've been looking at as well. So, okay, so signs of the times. Let's take a look and see where the current parent is at. So the majority of preteen and under kids today are being raised by millennials who were born between 1980 and 1996, which includes who in this room? You're born between 1980 and 1996. This generation grew up with Beanie Babies, you guys remember the Beanie Babies? Transformers. If my husband was here, he'd be all about the Transformers. Cabbage Batch Kids. And if you were lucky, a Nintendo 64. Yes. <laughs> yes. Nintendo. Now, we were not lucky for a long time. We had the like NES system, okay, which by the way, my kids still use. Only it's the computer kind, not the blow on it, like clean it out kind. Y'all know what I'm talking about? If you played Nintendo NES, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You had to clean that thing. Okay, so now we got a Nintendo 64 when I was in high, no, middle school, because my stinking brothers, I have three of them, convinced me that that's what we should give each other for Christmas. You know how much I played that Nintendo 64? Never. They just got me to pay for 25% of it. Um, still not over it. <laughs> okay. So our video games... We're rapidly changing. But think about how quickly values changed during that time period, during that millennial generation. So likely this generation was sitting in a classroom when the Twin Towers fell. I was a sophomore sitting. Uh, I was in social studies class when the Twin Towers fell. Um, they might have relatives. <laughs> they might have relatives or sibling, uh, siblings, relatives, classmates who were deployed in Iraq or Afghanistan. So that's the generation that we're talking about. Um, they are also the least Christian generation to date. That's us, okay? So in short, today's parents are just simply satisfied with secularism. They're okay with secularism. So in uh, 2005, Christian Smith came out with the term moralistic therapeutic deism which a lot of us have heard. This was a watered down and a fake version of Christianity, but it included several culturally appealing and biblically inaccurate components. So let's take a look at what, sorry, this is small, the screen's a little bit smaller than I anticipated. Um, 
Let's look at what they believe. Okay. A lot of them believe that there is a God, but he is distant. A lot of people in this generation believe that people are not sinful, that we just need to be good and nice and fair. A lot of millennials believe that there is no absolute truth. They believe the Bible is one of many moral guides. Their priorities are to be happy and to feel good. Think about what you see on Instagram from this generation. How good can we feel, right? What can we do to show other people that we're happy? And then they believe that good people go to heaven. Now we look at this list and we're like, oh, of course that isn't true, right? Like we see it, but we're, and we'll just throw this up here. So we'll compare, right? A biblical worldview right next to it. And so the opposite belief would be that there is a Bible who tells us who God is and he came to be with us and he lives in us, that he is not distant, that he is right there with us. Um, we believe that people are born sinful. We believe that the Bible says that we are sinners, and that's why Christ came. We believe that truth exists, and that is defined by God. We believe that the Bible is true and reliable and relevant. Our priorities are to know, love, and serve God, and we know that those who are forgiven and believe in the death of Jesus Christ are those who will be in heaven. There are many people that will say that they believe this, but they live this, and they teach their kids this. And so when we look at family discipleship, 64% of parents say that they're Christians. Somewhere between 2 and 4% have a biblical worldview. 2 to 4%. So 64% say like, oh, absolutely, I am a Christian, I'll follow that. Two to 4% actually live out a biblical worldview. So this is research that Barna has done. You can find it at the Cultural Research Center. He has a lot of, George Barna has a lot of studies there um, at the Arizona, uh, I can look up the website for you, but cultural, if, you, if you Google that, Cultural Research Center. So what we're dealing with when we look at households and we're looking at families is we're, looking, we're hearing people say like, oh yeah, we're Christians, but sweetie, I want you to go to college and you do whatever you want and you be happy and you feel good and you make lots of money, sweetie. That's what we're telling our kids. I mean, and so what we really need to look at is what do our kids hear is true and what do they see you do and believe is true? And those things are different. Um, so that's one of the signs of the times we are satisfied with secularism. I want you to understand I am a millennial and many times I am talking about myself. Don't hear this as judgmental. I have a 10 year old, 12 year old, and 14 year old daughter. We go through this every day. This, this is our life. Okay. Here's another sign of today's parents. They expect experts to educate. Anybody feel me on this one? Okay, you're going to go on vacation, and your kids are going to swim in the ocean. I'm just going to say I, because this definitely happened. And I had that moment where I'm like, oh, Joy doesn't know how to swim very well. And so what did I do? I called the YMCA, and I signed up for swim lessons, right? Like, I'm going to have an expert come educator. Um, one of my daughters had a pretty bad lisp when she was little. And so what did I do? I contacted the school. I talked to the speech-language pathologist, and I said, can you help me? My daughter has this lisp. What can you do? What can you work out for her? I expect an expert to help me because I don't know what I'm doing. 
However, we've turned that into the Christian circle of thinking, I will bring my kid to you at church and I will expect you to educate them. I don't know what I'm doing. That's why I bring them to you. You are the expert. It's, it's kind of a newish thing, to be honest, where it's just like, I don't know, you guys are the experts, so you take it from here. Um, and, and it is an issue that we are seeing a lot. So we did some research in conjunction with Barna, um, the Barna Research Group, and one of the things that we found the most interesting in all of this research was when we asked children's ministry leaders, where should child discipleship take place? 96% of children's ministry leaders said, at home with their parents. Okay, all right, I hear you. We asked the same question to parents. Half of them said it should be at the church. What's happening to all of those kids? They're, they're, they're literally getting dropped. Like they are falling through the cracks because children's ministry leaders are pointing at the home. The home is pointing at children's ministry leaders. And here's a stalemate. And there's kids that are suffering because of it. And it's dangerous. And so this, this was just done in 2021. So fairly recent research. And honestly, fairly disturbing research when we look at it that way. The other sign of today's parents, they have no plan in place for the spiritual development of their children. They can tell you about their athletic plan for their kids. They can tell you about their academic plan for their kids. They can tell you about their swim lesson schedule for their kids. But when it comes to the spiritual growth of their kids, there is no plan in place. There was a quote that I really like. This book, which I, I would recommend this book to any of 50 Things Every Child Needs to Know Before Leaving Home. It was written by Dr. Josh and his wife, Jen Malva Hill. Um, excellent, beautiful book. In, in his book, he has this quote. We're comfortable planning for our retirement, setting goals for our company, and even for ourselves. But many of us have never consider, considered setting goals for what our children will become. There is no spiritual plan in place for our kids. Our kid, not, not like the kids in our church, like the kids in our home. There's no plan. He later quoted this. Many people spend more time planning for vacation than they do for parenting. Think about that parent that, now, I've never been to Disney. I'm not judging Disney. The parent who planned the vacation to Disney, and you have to know, like, where to stay and what to ride and what armband and I don't know. Okay, all of those things. They have spent more time planning out that vacation than they have thought about the spiritual development of their child. So that's how we would describe the generation of parents who currently have kids in children's ministry right now. It's a little overwhelming. And I can tell you coming from high school teacher, you know, to mom, to researching this, it hit pretty hard. You know, I started looking at this, I'm like, my daughter is 14. She has four more years in my house. Four. And do I have a spiritual plan in place for her? What is she going to do? You know, this, this is something that hits really, really close to home for all of us. So we started looking at book after book after book after book and trying to figure out what does it look like to build a solid household of faith? What needs to be going on in the home to be sure that we're raising kids to be disciples of Christ? 
what needs to be happening so that they know and they love and they serve Jesus. So that's the vision of Awana is that kids need to know, love, and serve Jesus. And we're not going to stop until we've reached every kid that we can. Okay? What does it look like for that to happen inside of a home? And so what I'm going to show you is a structure that I am currently building. Again, I mean, it's in all humility. If you see something on here and you're like, I don't know, let's talk about it. Because it, I, I want to figure this out. I, I want to be able to, not that we're ever going to have all the answers, but I, I want this to be the best possible research for, for families. Okay, I was an ag teacher. I taught framing and drywalling and things like that. We're going to revert to my ag teacher days for just a second, okay? So when we start building a household of faith, there's going to be 10 things that we look at. And number one is the foundation. If you have ever seen a house that was not built on a proper foundation, you know because it looks like this instead of this, okay? Or if it had really clay soil or if it had really sandy soil or something like that, there's some type of problem. There's water coming in the basement. There's all kinds of issues. So the foundation of our house, remember this is the diagram that I made all by myself <laughs> on Google Drawings, okay? So you are not allowed to make fun of it. Um, and it will be prettier by the next time you see it. <laughs> it, it, it gets uglier, just so you know. <laughs> so our foundation is we want to understand God's call to disciple the family. So if I had family sitting right here, what I would say is I need you to know that God has called you to do this. It is in his word. It is true. And you need to know before we can go any further that your job is to spiritually lead your kids. That knocks out a lot of families, to be super honest, because at least 50% of them think that the church should be doing this. Okay, so step number one is I need you to know what God's word says. And if you don't understand that and you don't believe that, to be super honest, we can't keep building. That is the foundational level. That's where we have to start. <clears throat> you guys all know these. I'm sure you do. Where are we going to back this up? We're going to back this up in Deuteronomy 6. That's where we're going to back this up. We're going to say that we should be talking about our faith all the time, everywhere we go, everything we do, when we're sitting, when we're lying, when we're walking. How many parents do you know are doing that? Like, really? How many parents are actually doing that? Because I don't think it's very many. Because we're still kind of living in secularism, to be super honest. We're busy making our money and doing our things, and this is really isn't our top priority. <clears throat> How else can we back this up? I love, love what Joshua says, where he's like, listen, this is what God said, and this is what you're probably going to do. But as for me, we're going to serve the Lord. And I think that more families are going to have to be able to make that decision. Because you know what's really hard? What's really hard is pulling your kid out of basketball because they practice every Wednesday during children's ministry. That's really hard. I know. I cried about it. Seriously, like I'm the one trying to make the decision because it's my daughter and what are we supposed to do? Those decisions are hard, but we are going to have to stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what we're going to do. Where else? Another passage. Let's read this one because it's beautiful and I love it. Um, Psalm 78, 5 through 8. He established a testimony in Jacob and he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet un unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God. That's what I want for my kids, right? 
That's why I tell them these things is I want your hope to be fully set in God and the plan that he has for you. So they would not forget the works of God. Obviously, we need that in today's culture, right? But keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. I do not want my kids to look like the world. I've seen it, and it's nuts, right? Like, I need my kids' hope to be so set on God's word that they can look and they can see the chaos and they could say, no, that is not the life that God has called us to. So the foundation has to be that we understand that God has indeed said these things and he has said them to parents and grandparents. I, I hear generations in here as well, okay? And so I think the family has, has an obligation to, to the children in that family. All right, what we're going to look at now is load-bearing walls. So, those of you that like to watch Joanna Gaines, okay? So she walks in a house and she's like, we're going to blow out this wall and we're going to blow out this wall and we're going to do this like amazing thing over here. And I'm guessing what Chip says, I don't know, I don't have cable. Okay, but I'm guessing what Chip says is, well, we can't remove that wall because it's a load-bearing wall. And if we remove that wall, things are going to start falling, okay? So what we're going to look at is load-bearing or weight-bearing walls that need to be in place for other things to go inside the house. Okay, now I really struggle with these because I don't want to prioritize something that God does not prioritize. I want to be careful with that. However, from the research that I've looked at, it seems that if these things are in place, we can fill the house with some other things. And so we're going to look at what those look like. Okay, the first thing, parents, we have to own our schedule. For some reason, we think that we can throw family discipleship into our already busy schedule and get a good result. That's like saying, I'm going to start exercising, but I'm not going to wake up earlier, and I'm not going to go to the gym, and I'm not going to put on workout clothes, and I'm not going to run. You're not going to exercise. You're just not. Okay? Um, for, we have to develop systems that allow us to do what it says we are going to do. We have to own our schedule. Our schedule is going to look different than other people. <clears throat> There's a quote that John Tyson said in uh, his book, Beautiful Resistance. Hard work is good. The same can be said of love, family, fitness, sports, church, and so many other things we idolize. In their place and in proportion, they are all good. But none of them are God. Our kids are busy doing very good things. The kids in our generation have opportunities. I don't know about you guys, but they have opportunities I didn't have as a kid. They can do really, really cool things. Um, so our local Christian school lets homeschool kids show up and play sports. That's amazing. We play tennis. We play volleyball. I never played a sport in my life. But if anybody wants to go after a game of gaga ball, listen, I'm all in. That's a fun game. Um, it's, I'm terrible at it, but I enjoy it. Um, Let's take a look at another one. In a typical week, fewer than 10% of parents who regularly attend church with their kids, pause, parents who regularly attend church with their kids, repeat that for a second, fewer than 10% of them read the Bible together, pray together, or participate in an act of service as a family unit. 
fewer than 10% of regular church attendees. Okay, so this is the church crowd we're talking about. This is not just like whoever out there. Also, this was written in the book, Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions, which I want to say was written around like 2003. So 20 years later, I'm guessing we're probably like not a lot better. You know what I mean? Um, and so that quote, I remember reading that and thinking, now I want you to think about the kids that are sitting in your churches, in your families. Does this make sense? Okay, fewer than 10% of them who regularly attend church are doing anything outside of that church time. Now, what we get told a lot is, but that's why I bring them to church. That's why I bring them to you is because I want you to do these things with them. And that's very sweet. Let me say very clearly, I was raised by a church full of loving, caring, wonderful adults who changed my life. There is a wonderful, wonderful place for discipleship in the church. And I'm not saying anything against that. I'm just saying that families need to be doing something as well. So just, just to be perfectly clear. So if the average child goes to church, let's say just a child in general goes to church for one hour each week. Okay. So they're going to, let's say they're going to be at church for 52 hours per year. That equals 4.33 hours per month or one hour per week. We are expecting that we're going to bring our kids to church and that one hour of formation in our church is going to completely change their spiritual trajectory. They spend more time on TikTok than they did like today, like probably this afternoon than they did at your church service. However, something that we found when we were writing the book Resilient is that an average child attends church 1.7 times per month. The average child attends church. An average church attending child attends 1.7 times per month. And so now we can think like they might have been sick. That happens. Maybe there was some kind of schedule conflict. Maybe there was an athletic event that they needed to leave early. You know, whatever that thing was. But the average child attends 1.7 times per month, which equates to 20 hours per year that they're sitting in a church service. 20 hours. Like half a work week. This is of an evangelical family. Uh huh. Uh huh. Scary, right? Or an hour and 42 minutes per month, which averages out to 25 minutes per week that they're spending sitting in our churches. Sad numbers. And I think what's even scarier is when we compare that to the other ways they're spending their time. So if you think about an average child, so my daughter, I mean, I can speak from person. So hours at school. So we do school for about four to five hours a day. Okay. So we've got that time. Um, hours at a game. So they practice about two hours a day, five days a week. So 10 hours at a, a game or a hobby. They spend about eight hours sleeping per night times seven days a week. Hours on a device. Let me not lie to you. I would venture to say two hours a day on a device. I will excuse this one thing. My middle daughter, who doesn't speak a whole lot, wants to be a writer. And she spends so much time writing books that I just can't get mad at her, I have to be honest. <laughs> She's writing a lot of books. But they are also playing Spotify songs and, uh, yeah, we won't go there. Okay, and then compare it to the number of hours that they spend at church. And so what is actually forming kids? And so if we were sitting like in a parent training event right now, you would have a handout and you would be filling out how many hours each of those things are affecting your kids. And then we would be circling, oh, this is the thing forming my child. This is the place where they're spending a lot of their time. And so it's a little scary. So when we talk about owning your schedule, what we are talking about is there has to be time for faith 
formation. We cannot just assume it's going to happen in our spare time. We cannot just assume, like we're all on the hamster wheel, right? Like there has to be dedicated time for it. The next load bearing wall on my little drawing. Okay, next thing that we have to do is we've got to open up conversation between parents and children. A school guidance counselor should not be telling you about your child's gender identity before you know about it. Right? Like, I, when I hear that stuff, my, I, my mind is blown that that child cannot go to a parent and say, Mom, I'm really confused and I don't know what's going on. Can you help me? I just, there is a lady in a local Awana club that just recently, and she said they went to the parent-teacher conference where the guidance counselor said, just so you know, your daughter wants to be called this, and this is the way that we're handling it. And that was the first time they had heard it. Whatever political issues, all of those things set aside, here's my point. Obviously, that child was having trouble talking to that parent. That's my point in this, okay? Um, if we don't talk every day about the little tiny inky dinky silly stuff, we're not going to talk about the big stuff. We're just not. And so my daughter, any of your kids ring the, read the Wing Feather series? Oh my word. Fangs of dang and twiddly dinks and I don't know what else, but like there's all, so Andrew Peterson wrote these books and they're actually great, but I am not a, I don't read a lot of fiction. I read a lot of nonfiction. So my daughter on the way to Indianapolis today, little joy, she came with us, said, can I read you the Wing Feather Saga on the way? And do you know what mommy's doing? Mommy's sitting on the laptop typing up all these notes I have in my hand right here. That's what mommy's doing. And, you know, so I'm like, can you just read me the introduction, sweetie? <laughs> so she read me the introduction. She's like, that was really sweet. Can I, read, like, can I read you chapter one? So we've made it through chapter one today. We did the introduction and we did chapter one. The point of all this is, is with talking about anything and everything, if I'm the mom, which I naturally am, being fully transparent with you, who says, no, honey, not right now. No, honey, right, not right now. No, honey, not right now. She's not going to bring those bigger things to me. She's not going to ask about her salvation. She's not going to ask, what does it mean to be baptized? She's not going to ask, what do I do when there's kind of the, the, these kids believe this and I believe this and my guidance counselor told me this? They're not going to bring you those things. And so if we have not created a culture of conversation in our home where kids can openly communicate, then none of the rest of this can work well. They have to be able to speak. Um, I personally feel like a lot of us just shut down conversation because it's kind of convenient to be super honest. Yes, sir. Well, I was thinking if uh, the parents flip out uh, yes. anxiety conversations, then yes. also the child will feel like they can feel safe to... With the next conversation, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And so I think that's one of those. Does anybody else feel like when your child comes to you, and, and especially feel like 14-year time period kind of hit me a little bit hard. She's like, Mom, I need to tell you something. Every time I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, I've got to like pause, don't overreact, like don't freak out, and just go with it. And I think exactly to your point, if they learn that there's this freak out moment every time they bring something to you, then they're not going to bring you the really big things. I don't know about you guys. I did not grow up in a family like that. I did not grow up in a home where I felt comfortable going and telling all of these stories to my parents. They weren't terrible people. They just weren't open communicators. And so that's difficult. Now, there was something I read in the book, Habits of the Household, and I really love this. So I want to read part of what he said. <clears throat> 
Through the simple act of two people speaking words, love can be expressed. The gospel can be shared. Apologies offered. Forgiveness extended. Pain and trauma exposed. Wise counsel offered. And prayer requests and praises shared. When we celebrate a child's first word or remember our loved one's final whispers, we show how important words are. And I think, you know, I really struggled with this one. When we were building this structure, I'm like, really? Should this be a load-bearing wall that we need to talk about things? I'm leaning that way. We've got to open up conversation in our homes. Kids have to know that they can talk to us. Can I ask a question? Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Personally, for me, I have an eight-year-old daughter uh, who is already uh, an introvert. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to engage mm-hmm. the conversation a lot, but she just kind of she shuts down. Mm-hmm. And, uh, just doesn't is she your second-born? Is she a she's middle child? First. Okay, I'll say my second-born. Yeah. She's eight. You said? Yeah. And so, yeah. Even in when we try to encourage, she actually doesn't like it when we encourage her. Mm-hmm. She shuts down more. Yeah, she mm-hmm. tells us to stop. Mm-hmm. Stop paying attention to me. Kind of mm-hmm. so. And socially, like in in a circle of people, would be even more reserved. I'm guessing. So, she, like she, with adults, she, especially. That's. She actually has a problem talking in school. <laughs> Which our teacher, the teacher keeps talking. Mm-hmm. Right, but just uh, getting words just, out. She starts talking a lot and can't stop. That's hilarious. <laughs> so it's like, I like once I, the words, like once the words come out, they can come out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So my middle daughter, who does not speak very much at all, she's the writer. That's why she's the writer. Um, she and has already said she wants to write stories. Actually. Okay. I finally got that up. Yeah, so that's where like all the words are. They're all stuck there. Um, so what I figured out, I work in my living room. We have a kind of smallish house, and so I have a desk in our living room, and my kids are home all day, So and our dog. And so I, you can just imagine what Zoom is like in my life, okay? It's a little chaotic. Um, but my kids always hear half of all of my conversations, right? Because like I have headphones in, and so they're always hearing what I do all day. And um, I was going through my kid's Chromebook, because I'm a mom, and I look at what they look at. Um, and I was going through the history, and she had written an entire Google Slides presentation on God's big story of creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration, because she heard mommy talking about it at work. Wow. And I thought, oh, my word, Lord. Like, you're using these things that I didn't even know that she was hearing, and she's so quiet, and they don't come out her mouth, but they came out her fingers. You know, like, she typed them out. This thing was like 20 slides wrong. I'm going to like have her make my graphic next time, okay? Like, <laughs> she's totally going to do it. Um, but the one thing I would encourage, like, she's my, she's, she, she puts notes in my backpack when I travel. She's the one that types things out on the computer. She leaves little notes on my desk. She'll never sign them. She doesn't want them to, she doesn't want me to know that they're from her. She doesn't want to like, she doesn't want me to know that she has expressed that love um, but I would, I mean, personally, not in any way a marriage or family, like therapist person, let her write. Those words are going to come out. And, um, Faith is 12 and she is just now starting to express a lot more verbally than she has for the past several years, for sure. 
Um, this was, so I read this, this was a blog post called Discipling Your Kids is More Than Family Devotions, and it was written by Derek Brown. I want to say this was on the Gospel Coalition website. I'm struggling remembering exactly where it was, but I'm sure if you Google it, you'll find it. But he had this quote that I found really interesting. If we talk to our children about spiritual things only during our nightly routines or on Sundays after church, we're teaching them to isolate their faith to a a few small sections of each week. When they learn that you only talk about God's word on Sunday right after church, or you only memorize verses on Wednesday right before you go to midweek, they, you have taught them that we isolate what we believe to Wednesdays and Sundays. That's a little tricky. Even if you're doing evening devotions, it's like, hey, family, the only time we talk about God, right before we go to sleep. Think about the, the impression that we're giving them. So instead of that being <clears throat> regular language, I feel so bad for the mic person because I like keep coughing. Like, I feel like I need to like cover up the mic. <laughs> so I want you to read this other quote. It says, parents practicing their own religion is critical, but just as powerful. So let's read this as, you know, parents going to church, parents doing their Bible study, parents worshiping, parents praising. That is critical, but just as powerful is they're talking with children about religious matters during the week outside of designated officially religious times. Our children have to hear us speaking about what we believe all day long, all week long. When we get out our checkbook and we're deciding the way that we're going to spend our money, narrate that to your child. Listen, there's a reason we spend money. There's a reason you don't have those cool jeans. That's because this is how we decide to spend our money in our household, and that's because this is what we believe. This is how we spend our time. The reason why you had to quit basketball is not because I'm the meanest mom ever. It's because it was taking away our life and we had to come up with a schedule that was workable for us. And so we need to be narrating a lot of our decisions, I believe, a lot more than we actually are. So they kind of need to hear some of that. Now, are there decisions that you're going to make that they know nothing about? Of course there are, okay? But there are things that I feel like we need to be opening up those doors a little bit more. Okay, I couldn't get my triangle to like match the pitch of the roof, okay? I I tried, I couldn't do it. (laughs) I'm so embarrassed, okay? (laughs) You're like, what what preschooler drew this? It was Shauna from Moana. Um, (laughs) They're like, oh, she's silly. Okay, we have to speed up. So when we dry in a house, when, when we are building a house, first thing we want to do is we want to get it under roof, okay? Because there's a lot more that we can do once that house is under roof. So we've laid a foundation is that we have to believe that we are called to disciple our kids. We've put up two load-bearing walls. So this is a structure that we've got in place that is going to allow for the other things to happen. One is owning our schedule. One is opening up our conversation. Now we're going to cover this bad boy, and we're going to cover it in prayer. Why? Because we can't save our kids. The rest of the things that I tell you are not a 10-step plan to success and you will have perfectly Christian kids who are saved and go to heaven. I can't promise you that, right? Nobody can. While these are what we believe to be good ideas and good things to have in place in your home, none of them will perfectly save your child. We are not trying to create Pharisees that behave perfectly. We are trying to create Christ's followers. And so the verse that, that I, uh, I think my family is going to learn this this summer, I think is going to be our goal. But this is something that we can pray over our families. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
That's what I want for my babies. That Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend what all the saints and what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled with the fullness of God. What do I want for my daughters? That. That's what I want for my daughters. What am I going to pray for? That. That's going to pray for my daughters. I need the Holy Spirit to do a mighty work in my life. I need him to change me so that I can disciple my children and that they can be changed by him. Not by good behavior, not by anything that they can do, but their hearts are changed. And that they want to know God and they want to love him and they want to serve him. And so that structure, that covering, that roof that is really ugly, I think is something that we have to take into account. We can't work our kids into salvation. We just can't. We just, it's not possible. Can we set up a sound structure? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So let's take a look at a few more. We will not spend as much time on each of the individual components after this. Number one, how is your family reading and memorizing scripture together? How are you doing at that? Uh, some people want to read through the Bible in a year. Some people want to read through the Bible in <laughs> five years. Um, some people don't read through the Bible at all. They want to do a different type of reading. Um, are you memorizing scripture? Are you memorizing scripture together? Are you, like me, impressed that my kids can memorize a lot of scripture and cheer them on, but not really memorize with them? <laughs> That's me. Um, if your child sees that you are relying on scripture to be the rebar of your faith, that is going to mean something to them. Okay? I want to share a story with you. I will likely cry during it, just so you know. Uh, Nina. Nina is the lady in the wedding dress in this picture. Nina was adopted in Ukraine at age two. She had many social and emotional issues and regularly created problems at her weekly Awana gatherings by throwing tantrums, throwing her handbook at her leader, refusing to memorize scripture. I'm sorry, refusing to memorize scripture. But she had a youth leader named Anita. And Anita never gave up on her. Nina finally trusted Christ as a teen, and Anita continued to disciple her. Then Nina became an Awana leader and then a director of a local club. So in the fall of 2022, less than a year ago, Nina married a wonderful Christian man who was killed serving in the Ukrainian army on Christmas Day. So Anita... The youth leader who mentored her drove her to her husband's funeral. And on the way home, Nina looked at Anita, her youth leader, and said, Can we have a contest to see who can recite the most Bible verses? Anita was amazed that Nina wanted to do this after the funeral. This was in the car on the way home from her husband's funeral. She was even more amazed when Nina knew more verses than she did, the little girl that threw her handbook at her. Anita said to us when she wrote this out, Bible verses are the rebar that allows a building to withstand the earthquake. So, do our children have this rebar? 
Do our kids have that rebar in their life? Um, mine, my kids are memorizing some scripture. Yes. Um, are they doing it for gold stars? I don't know, honestly. You know, um, whether or not they're doing it for gold stars, are they hiding God's word in their heart? And when my daughter has to drive home from her husband's funeral, can she quote scripture? And is her heart so changed by God's word that she does quote scripture in her darkest moments? Man, that is a gift that we can give our kids. It's free. It's reading and memorizing scripture together. I know it's basic. I know you look at it and you're like, yeah, Shauna, they need to read and memorize. They do. They need to have God's word hidden in their heart. Second room in our house. Now, your house may look different than mine. I have a really small, crappy kitchen. I'm going to be really honest with you. It's very small, okay? You may have a gorgeous kitchen. Your house may look a little bit different than mine. Your scripture memory and, um, you know, praying and singing might look different than it looks like in the Merlin house, and that's okay, all right? That's not what we're getting into. We're just looking at what are some components of a healthy household of faith, okay? So praying and singing together. Now, if you really wanted to hear me cry, I would read all of John Patton's testimony, but I'm not going to read all of it. But if you know anything about the missionary John Patton, he went to serve um, in the South Pacific Islands. It was an island of cannibals. And he shows up, and there were multiple nights that they would surround his house, and they would call out, and they would yell, and they would scream. And he said what he remembered in those moments were the faithful prayers of his father that he heard prayed every night the faithful prayers of his father. Here's a quote. How much my father, my father's prayers at this time impressed me. Hold on. I'm an old lady. Okay. I can never explain, nor could any stranger understand. When on his knees and all of us kneeling around him in family worship, he poured out his whole soul with tears for the conversion of the heathen world to the service of Jesus and for every personal and domestic need. We felt as if the presence of the living Savior as if in the presence of the living Savior, and learned to know and to love him as our divine friend. Do your kids know and love your, their Savior as their divine friend? He said this happened because of the prayers that he heard his father pray. There's also a story, if you read his autobiography, there was a, a, women of, a woman of the night that would sit outside their window and listen to their family devotions. He was, he was sharing the gospel, not just with his family, but there was a woman who would sit outside and listen. <clears throat> Imagine the confidence and courage our kids can have if we have raised them in a family where we openly worship together. Is it awkward? Yes. Sometimes it is. Okay? The first time we tried to sing together as a family, I wanted to crawl out of the room. It's just awkward. I don't know. It is. Okay? Praying in front of other people. Sometimes that's awkward. Um, something that, that is crazy to me, sir, eight-year-old daughter, um, my daughter Faith prays the most gorgeous, beautiful prayers. She doesn't speak to us, but she speaks to God. Why? I, I don't know, because he's amazing. Um, but And I think a lot of it is she doesn't spend a lot of time talking, but she spends a lot of time processing. And so she's really thinking through what she's learning, and she's really processing through that. And she ends her prayers each night with, And God, I love you. And she barely tells her mama and her daddy that she loves them. 
She doesn't have a lot of words, but she tells God. Um, the first time we tried to sing a song together, my daughter Joy wanted to sing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. <laughs> and so we pulled it up on YouTube and we were looking at this thing on YouTube, and for some reason, I don't know why, there were like rockets flying through the video, like while they were singing. This was like 10 years ago. And, um, and so she started calling them rocket potatoes. And so she would ask each night for the rocket potato song, which was actually, I've got the joy joy. And so I tried to find it so I could show you guys, but it, 10 years ago, like, yeah, YouTube, YouTube analytics lost that one somewhere. It was probably good that they lost it. But I just want to imagine the confidence and the love that we can show our kids when we pray and we sing together. And when they hear you praying about those hard decisions, when they hear you praying about what's coming next, when they hear you pray for their salvation and for their future spouses and for your future decisions, and when they stand at the altar and they can say, my mommy and daddy prayed for this my whole life. I heard them. I heard them pray for this. All right. Last thing on the... the Lower level here, under family worship. Do your children love, gather, and serve with other believers? So in this particular room, I think we're talking about belonging to a church. I think we're loving. I think we're talking about helping them figure out what their spiritual gifts are that they can use in a church. The other thing I think we're looking at here is hospitality. And so them learning what it looks like to have people into their home and how to serve others. Um, I'm going to run out of time because it tells so many daggone stories, so I'm going to have to stop. Uh, Grace, our oldest, she recently went to visit a, a, a young father who lost his son in a car wreck. And she went with my husband, Brian, to, to visit this family. And um, the young man who lost his, his son was a drug addict. And so he missed a lot of his child's life because he was either in, in jail or in rehab. Grace didn't spend very much time judging that man. She came home and she loved him. Really, she loved him. And so what she was able to see is this is a man who struggles with a sin problem just like I do. And I'm going to love him. And we're going to share the gospel with him. And we're going to be hospitable. And, you know, when Brian took off to take Grace to that, I, I was sitting at my desk, you know, doing my little job. And I remember thinking like, oh, golly, I, I don't know. That's pretty. That's a pretty hard situation. And she came back with tears in her eyes. And uh, that young father came to our church a couple weeks ago. And she lit up because she knew who he was. And she had seen that journey. And so that there's so much growth that can happen there. So much growth when we are hospitable and we are love serving and gathering with other believers. I'm sorry I'm flying through these. But you all want to go home at 9.15, I'm guessing. Okay, so we're going to keep, keep hopping. All right, now we're going to look at how we... So these were ways that we can kind of build family worship and we can build our family unit as a whole, our whole family. We're going to look at a few ways that we can help each of our children grow spiritually. Okay, so kind of look at the child individually now. So the first thing that I encourage all of you to do is build a team of loving, caring adults around each of your children. We, we've heard the, it's, it's in the book Sticky Faith that the typical child to adult ratio, let's do it this way, adult to child ratio is one to five, one adult per five children. We should all be reversing that. What if there were five loving, caring adults focused on every single child? And what would that child's life look like? And so that sounds like a really like, oh, okay, well, maybe we'll make that happen. But look at some of the, the data that backs this up. 
Children who have a meaningful relationship with an adult at church are more likely to be rooted in scripture. 62%, 61%, I'm sorry. So it says two in five children in children's ministry have a meaningful relationship with adult. 62% said, no, I do not have a loving, caring adult that is helping me. 39% said, yes. And if they have that meaningful relationship with an adult at church, they are more likely to be rooted in scripture. This is somebody outside of you and your spouse. Okay, so some type of adult. Maybe that's children's ministry leader. Maybe that's a volunteer. Maybe that's their Sunday school teacher. I'll tell you about my Sunday school teacher if we have time. Get back to that. Okay, here's some more data. Parents of five to 14 year olds, thinking about how your children interact with church and children's ministry, how much would you agree or disagree with the following? So the green lines, in case you can't see it far back there, these are kids that have a meaningful adult relationship outside of a parent, okay? If you can't read any of the numbers, can you see that the green lines are longer on each of these things? Okay, and here's what it says. My child has friends at church. Whoop! Here's the one if they've got a meaningful adult relationship. Their time in children's ministry is as as important as my time in service. Whoop! Down here. Church matters to my child. My child looks forward to church. 70% versus 33% if they have a loving, caring adult waiting there for them. My child learns things about faith in church that I cannot teach them, 66 to 34%. Children's ministry is the highlight of their week. It doesn't end there. There's more. So can you still see the green lines? Boop, 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 boop. Still longer. Um, a child who has a meaningful adult relationship integrates biblical principles into their lives, studies the Bible on their own, 64% to 24% if they have another loving, caring adult helping them, understands crucial principles from the Bible, understands the big picture of the gospel in the Bible, memorizes Bible verses or creeds. That's pretty crazy. Shameless plug. If any of this data interests you, it's all in a book. It's $10. I have two of them to give for free tonight. I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm just going to throw them up in the air and you guys can fight over them. Okay, we'll figure it out. Um, (laughs) We'll figure that out. (coughs) Excuse me. All right, next thing. How can we help our children build a biblical worldview so they are not like we were? Like when we looked back at the secular worldview versus the biblical worldview, what can we do to help each of our children build a biblical worldview so when they get those really, really, really hard questions, they turn to God's word, not to the world. Parents, something is forming your child. They can go on TikTok and they can go on, and they don't do Facebook anymore, whatever they go on, and it's going to tell them how to believe everything. We have to be filling them up with God's word so that they know that there are answers out there. And so I want to go through this simple, simple story that if we look at, if we look at a biblical worldview as believing that God created man and everything God created was good, that, that they sinned and that sin passes to all of us, that there is a redeemer and that one thing, one day all things will be restored. If they believe those four things, we are setting them up for far more success than that secular worldview that we looked at at the beginning. Now, here's what can happen. There's a school shooting. How am I going to talk to my child? Because the world's going to tell them one thing about all of the ways and all of the reasons that these things happen. And here's what I'm going to say. Baby, when God created this world, this is not how he created it. He did not create it for kids to show up at a school in Nashville and kill other babies. That is not what he created. Everything he created was good. But man fell into sin, and it changed everything. You and me and your heart and everybody's heart around us. But those of us that know Jesus, 
We don't have to be scared. And you don't have to be scared when you sit there in that desk tomorrow because I know my Redeemer lives. I know he does. And one day, he's going to make everything perfect again. And you will sit and kneel and you will worship forever. You guys see how we can take something as terrible as a school shooting and walk through these four things and show them this is what God's word says. Think about all the different ways that we can walk through this. Think about all the questions that can be answered when we go through this path. Okay? I would love to say a ton more. I can't. Last thing. Individually, how do we help each of our children build spiritual disciplines? How do we help them memorize God's word? How do we help them learn how to pray out loud in a group, in our family, to themselves? How do we make sure that they have a system in place, that they are learning God's word? All of this is about what happens at age 18. Have we set them up? Have we grown them in such a way that they can replicate these skills when they're not under our roof and being forced to do what we tell them to do every day? Because, And we have that conversation with our girls on a regular basis. We say, like, you know, there's coming a day where you, like, don't have to listen to mom. And so what we're trying to show you is this is God's plan, and we want you to live this forever. But I can't control forever for you. I can just control what happens in my home. And so the, the final room in the house is how are we getting kids ready for the world after they, they're under our roofs? All this to say, <clears throat> I can't tell you that one of these rooms is more important than another room. I would say that reading and memorizing scripture is pretty high on that list, though. Um, what I'm saying is, is that some of these rooms in your house might be empty right now. Some of these rooms might belong in a little bit different place in your family right now. But after reading a whole lot of parenting books and research, it seemed that it kind of boiled down to these 10 things to build a household of faith. Are there things that are not on this list? Absolutely, I'm sure that there are. But these really seem to pop up over and over and over again. And so we took these 10 things and we built a curriculum out of it. That was our goal. So what was the goal of doing two years of research? It was to provide a resource for parents. Um, and so we built a resource that has all of these 10 things in it. Um, that's, that's my whole job. My job is to write curriculum for families. And what we were um, tasked with doing is trying to figure out how can a family be taught how to do discipleship, and then disciple their kids. So what does it look like to partner with families so they can be the primary spiritual influence on their kids? Because they can't do it alone. They don't know what to do. We need to help. Um, so here's what we built. Before the lessons, so you get this in the email every week. There's a lesson that comes to an email every week if parents subscribe to this. It's $5.99 a month, but you get three months free. I'll tell you about it later. Okay. This is a video to parents, this QR code. It's a video to parents and it says, hey parents, the reason why we're talking about forgiveness is yada, 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 yada. And this is what we think should happen after you talk about forgiveness with your kids. This is discipling the disciple maker. That's the point of the little video. If you are already the expert disciple maker, you don't have to watch it, okay, it's fine. Um, but it's a video directly to parents. It's two minutes long, you know why? Because they won't watch it if it's longer than that. 
We started with five minutes. Oh no, it's two minutes, okay? Actually, most of them are actually 59 seconds, just so you know, we edited them down, okay? Um, they're very short. The next part is a scripted lesson through God's word, including the actual script, scripture passage, word for word, verse for verse. Okay, so this is not a paraphrase. This is not pulling something out of context. This is, this is what God's word teaches us about forgiveness in this particular lesson. It takes about two minutes to go through that section. How many parents use it every week? 25%. It takes two minutes. We cannot, we're working on trying to get parents to the point that they're spending two minutes reading God's word to their kids. Okay. God bless you. All right. If you have older kids, the more to explore sheet was written for them. Does this graphic look a little familiar? You can tell the graphic designers made this one. Okay. <laughs> they made that one. Um, what this does is it talks about where the story came from in God's word and, and what that particular book of the Bible was about. Because does it matter that we're pulling this out of prophecy? Yes, in fact, it does. And we tell them why that's important. Okay. It, it talks about, do we talk about forgiveness in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Why? Yes, we do. Let's talk about that for a second. We ask some hard questions like, is the God of Christianity the same as the God of Islam and other religions? So the kids can answer those. There's a journaling component. There's a reading component. Those are for our older kids. For our younger kids, this is called the Through the Week Sheet. Through the Week Sheet means that you can pick whatever on here you want to do to keep reinforcing that biblical truth. One is word-for-word -word scripture. One is a playlist. There's always scripture memory because we're Awana, okay? So you will memorize scripture. Um, there's baking activities. There's praying activities. There's testimony activities. Now here, I want to bring this full circle for you. This is an activity guide that was written for 16-year-old boys who needed to do school online. That's how God worked that one out. That's what that is. There is also a coloring sheet every week. It's $5.99 a month. What you will find is each of these components are worked into these three pages on purpose. In your bags, everybody should have a bag, in your bag, there is this paper. The only thing that matters on this paper is that there is a coupon code right here, NF23, that is 90 days free of talk about. I, if you don't have kids in your house and you just want to write me nasty emails about how I can make this product better, I'm fine with it. Do it. I need feedback. And so if you're willing to just sign up just to tell me like what does and doesn't work, that would be great. Um, what will happen is you sign up for an account with your email and a credit card number. Credit card gets charged on day 91 unless you cancel. Okay. Other than that, it's free. Um, I would love to hear feedback from you because the only way we can make this a better resource for families is if families tell us how it's working. That, that's it. So thank you for your patience. It is 9.16. <laughs> All right. Only one minute over. So you guys have a wonderful, wonderful evening. That was great stuff from Shauna Merlin today. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. This is a topic that me and my church were always talking about. Our children's minister is how to disciple parents, how to disciple their kids. Super, super important. It's changed from the drop your kids off, let the church handle, you know, getting your kids saved to we need to be teaching our kids this stuff every single day. So I found that to be super helpful. Next up, we've got another session from Awana. It's gonna be Shauna Merlin again. And she's going to be talking about five ways to get your kids engaged 
and interactive Bible teaching. So make sure that you come back to the next episode. And if you haven't, I would appreciate it if you would hit the subscribe button. And I want to ask you, if you would drop us a review or leave us a like or a comment or something, I would be super appreciative of that. All right, y'all, enjoy the rest of your day, and I hope to catch you on the next episode. We'll see you.